Thank you for tuning in to the Mile 40 podcast. I am Beshoy Tadros, the author of Break Barriers and Audacious, both of which are sold on Amazon. And I invite you to join me as I engage with guests to discuss those bounce back moments that we encounter on our personal journey. Mile 40 is a forum to learn about how athletes, professionals, and leaders of all backgrounds stare down moments in life where the only option is to rise up. The Mile 40 podcast strives to remind listeners that the comeback is always greater than the setback. Welcome back to the Mile 40 podcast. I can't believe I'm saying this out loud, but this is going to be the finale of season one, and I am super excited. Once again, I'd like to thank all of you for following me on this journey. Truth be told, you know, I recorded episode one and I wasn't sure where it was going to go from there. And I can't say how grateful I am for your feedback and for your participation and, and really helping grow this community. Today's episode is particularly special. I'd like to introduce you all to Joe Rinaldi. Joe is a friend of mine. He's also the founder of Project Endure. Aside from being the founder of a very unique organization that he started up as an entrepreneur. Joe has an extremely special trajectory that really syncs well with the Mile 40 podcast and, and a lot of the narratives that we brought on board. Joe, thanks for uh, joining me today. Bishoy, thank you so much, man. I could not be more excited for this conversation. Joe, honestly, I, you know, I was thinking about this and, and I don't know where to begin because you do so much. Like there, there's no way to really kind of go around saying it, but you do a lot. You left your day job about a year ago now. Is that correct? Yeah. Almost a year to date. Yep. You were a physical therapist before that. Aside from that, you helped co-author a book recently. You just purchased a new home. I know that you have your weekly emails that I read and that, you know, are just a spark of motivation that I know that, you know, you're working on daily. Aside from that, I know you're coaching people and across the spectrum too. You're not just coaching people from a fitness perspective, but also from a mindset perspective. You know, I know there's a story that we're going to get to, but where would you say your energy really derives from? Is it from, you know, your your upbringing? Is it from your own narrative? Is there any one element that really kind of drives you all your energy, you know, with everything that you have going on right now? You know, I think the thing that drives me most is the fear of future regret. And this is going to sound absolutely nuts, but anytime I see an older couple walking on the street, I get really sad. I'm talking about, you know, 80, 85, 90 year old couple holding hands, walking down the sidewalk. My heart just feels sad because I look at those people and no matter how their lives were great. Okay. Anywhere from in between, I'm so sad because they are short on time. And I think when I get to that point of my life, I'm going to look back. And the worst thing I can feel at that point is regret, wishing I had done something differently, wishing I have loved more, lived more. And so I wake up every day thinking about that and trying not to feel that future regret, if that makes any sense. That makes 100% sense. You know, one of the things that that's really special with regards to a lot of the messaging that you put out there is your perspective in general. You know, I admire how positive you are on a day in day out basis, despite the circumstances that are thrown your way. I do my best personally to, to live like that. Uh, but to me, you're an inspiration because 
as far as I can see, you are living like that, you know, day in and day out. And so let's take a couple steps back here and, and, and figure out how we're going to rewire your mindset and, and how you got to where you are as someone who wakes up every morning, spews out positivity, but does it in a way that's number one, authentic, genuine, far from obnoxious and and only in a way where, you know, those around you um, feel emboldened. Let's talk a little bit about, you know, your journey from, from childhood. Sure. So when I was growing up in the suburbs of New Jersey, I had a very normal childhood, uh, mom, dad, younger brother, younger sister, everything was all good. One morning when I was 10, I woke up and I just couldn't see out of my right eye. It was a complete shock came out of nowhere. And so my parents took me into New York City. We saw a specialist, specialist, specialist. Nobody knew what was going on. Finally, by the end of a very long day, I was diagnosed with something called Best Disease, which is essentially a genetic condition that causes progressive loss of central eyesight. And so as a 10-year-old, I didn't really understand the full gravity of what that meant, but I was scared. Um, I went through the rest of childhood with ebbs and flows through my eyesight, um, feeling very different from the other kids, had to stop playing baseball, which was the sport that I loved. Um, and so I, I dealt with some difficult things, but the gravity of all of that didn't hit me until a few weeks before I was going to move to Philadelphia to start graduate school. I was going to leave my family, take out a bunch of student loans and pursue this challenging degree. And I lost a lot of my eyesight. And I was left with this decision, you know, do I go, do I stay, do I pursue this dream and step into the uncertain or do I just stay back and play it safe? And I'm really, really grateful for my parents because in that moment, uh, they told me, you know, Joe, you can't live life based off of what if, what if this goes wrong? What if this happens? What if you go blind? You have to think in terms of even if, you know, even if this happens, even if you lose more sight, you will figure it out. And so I decided to pursue graduate school, pursue my doctorate in physical therapy, despite the uncertainty that I was facing. And to be honest, that first year of school was the hardest, darkest year of my life, hands down. I, uh, I was so used to being able to give more effort to things in life and be better at them, whether that was sports or school. But no matter how hard I tried every single morning for that first year, I just could not put a smile on my face. You know, outwardly, I looked okay to everybody. I uh, was in front of class, you know, raising my hand, answering every question, going to the gym, laughing, making jokes. But on the inside, I, I wasn't smiling. Um, and it was, wasn't until I met who is now my wife that all of that changed and my perspective totally shift. But that's a little bit about my childhood journey up until kind of the most pivotal point in my life. Yeah. You have this one quote, which I hope it comes out. If it doesn't come out, I'm going to bring it out <laughs> for you because I think it, it's really, really special. But I, I want to dive really quick a little bit further into the disease and, mm -hmm. and kind of painting a picture around how bad is your eyesight now? So everybody's probably heard of 2020 yep. sight or 2020 vision. So my right eye, I'm legally blind. Uh, last time I checked, it was well over 2200, meaning at 200 feet away, somebody else could see what I see at 20 feet away. So pretty bad. Uh, my left eye, last time I had it checked was 2040, 2050. And the weird thing about the human body, or I should say the cool thing about the human body is it's, it's very creative. 
And so with both eyes open, I can see pretty well. I can read, write, drive, do everything except maybe hit a baseball. And so right now my, my sight is pretty stable. It's been pretty stable for a while, but the nature of my condition is I can wake up tomorrow and not be able to drive a car, or I can wake up tomorrow and not be able to see my wife. And I just don't know if or when that'll ever happen. And I think that uncertainty um, has been very unsettling for most of my life, but it's also empowered me and given me a perspective that I wouldn't have otherwise. And so every single day when I wake up, it's a good day. If I could see in front of my feet to take the next step, like that's a great day. And I wouldn't have that perspective the way I have it right now if I wasn't gifted with this adversity. Yeah. And so that leads me perfectly into your quote. You know, you always say what you lost in sight, you gained in vision. And, you know, I bet you don't, maybe you think you do, maybe you don't realize, like, that's a quote that I've seen you share it more than one time. And every single time I see it, I'm like, Joe's incredible. Like oh. that, that outlook is just so, so special. And it, it takes a lot of, it takes someone who has gone through some sort of adversity to kind of really understand, you know, the meaning of that. When, when did that start resonating with you as, as kind of, um, you know, something that you wanted to put out there and project? Okay. So that, that first year of graduate school, that really dark season, um, like I said, outwardly, I think everybody thought I was like, I had it all together, right? I got good grades. I looked like I was fine, but on the inside I was falling apart. And I realized that if I was feeling that way, who else must've been feeling that way. Right. And so I decided I would put out my first ever blog. This was the summer of 2016 and it was called second thoughts. And I wrote about the second thoughts that I had about pursuing school. I wrote about my insecurities, my doubts, my fears, and I put it out into the world. And I was so shocked at how overwhelmingly positive the response was from people I knew, from people I didn't even know, and from everyone in between. But what surprised me the most was other people reaching out to me, opening up, being vulnerable about the things that they were struggling with, and thanking me for sharing that with them. Uh, and so I put that out there into the world and I started to realize the power of vulnerability, but I wasn't fully ready yet to really go all in on it. Um, my perspective really did a 180 when I realized that the girl I was dating at the time, who's now my wife, when I realized I wanted to spend the rest of my life with her, I realized that it wasn't about me anymore and that I could play the self-pity card. I could play the victim card, but now that wasn't just impacting me. It was going to impact her. It was going to impact our future family and everybody else that I ever touched. And so I realized, you know, it's on me right now. I can't change the circumstance, but I can change my perspective. And it was in that season of life where everything just flipped. And to me, what I've lost in sight, I've gained in vision really just means as I've been able to see less of the world around me, I've been able to see things with new eyes. I've been able to find the good in things, the good in people. I've been able to dream bigger than I ever been able to dream before. And it's been such a beautiful transition. And I think a lot of times in life, when we lose one thing uh, or when one door closes, another door opens, but sometimes we're so focused on that door that closed that we don't even notice the one that opened. And I'm just so aware of that right now in life. I'm going to throw one more quote at you before I stop talking yeah. here. My favorite no, no, keep of, going. Yeah. of all time, Christine Kane said, sometimes when you're in a dark place, 
you think you've been buried, but you've actually been planted. And I realized that those 25, 26 years of life were leading me to this place. I had thought I'd been buried the whole time. And in, in a season, I realized that I had been planted and I can't unsee that. I can't unfeel that. And so no matter what happens to me from this point on, I understand that the darkness, the heaviness, the hardship, it's happening for me and not to me. And it's just been so liberating. It's so crazy in, in hearing you say all this, like, you know, you talk about losing sight, but I feel like you gain periphery, like in, in a way that like, you know, you said it yourself where you're aware of everything else going on, despite the fact that you're losing more and more sight, you're gaining more and more of an awareness. Let's talk about, you know, that period in your life where you had met your wife and, and the impact that she had. I have to imagine that this was an insecurity of yours and, and having to explain this to anyone who might potentially be a partner for life. You know, if you could tell us a little bit about that. You know, it's funny. I, I don't think of things in the way that I think a lot of other people think of them. And so for me, when I put writing out into the, into the world through the internet, sometimes I don't even tell my, my parents things. Like I wrote that blog, I put it out there. And like my mom called me, she's like, are you all right? What's, is everything okay? So like, I have to, now I have a checklist, like serious life events, you know, okay. I proposed to my, to my wife, let me, uh, or my fiance at that point, let me tell my parents, tell my grandparents. Okay. Now I can write a blog about it. Um, but I had written that blog before my wife and I went on our first date. So she was aware through that blog of what, what I was dealing with, what I was struggling with. And the coolest part was she brought it up in that first conversation and she was so inspired by it. And, um, she encouraged me and she wanted to learn about it. And I felt so safe and open and secure in sharing that. And since that point, I felt more and more comfortable sharing pretty much everything about myself with anybody who's willing to listen, um, especially people over the internet who I don't know, uh, i.e. the people listening to this podcast. Um, I'm an open book. And I think part of that is because I realize a lot of times in life, we're sitting next to people, we're working with people who are going through really, really hard things, who are experiencing emotions that they probably don't want anybody else to know about. And we might be experiencing something very, very similar, but both of us are putting on a brave face and neither of us know that about one another. And we both feel alone, even though we're right there with each other. And so if I could open up and be vulnerable um, to my wife, to my friends, family, or just anybody, and that makes anybody feel less alone, um, I almost feel like that's my responsibility now. Um, and she was one of the first people to really hold that space for me and make me feel comfortable sharing. So that was an that. important. I love yeah. that. And I agree with you so much with regards to the power of vulnerability and, and how much it only, not only does it embolden, you know, the people who are listening to you being you know, vulnerable, but it also strengthens you as an individual, um, you know, day in and day out, because, you know, by being vulnerable, you're letting it out, essentially, you know, yeah. the, the thing about the thing about vulnerability, especially when it comes to adversity is that the human has been through so much. And generally speaking, you know, when it comes to releasing that, that vulnerability, it's because you're looking for that level, you're looking, yeah. you're looking for that level of like, other people in the world who also are going through adversity, um, only to strengthen each other. And so I, I, I love the way that you go about it. And, and one of the things that, you know, I've seen is that you've kind of taken it through every element of your life, whether 
is your love life, whether it's your professional life, whether, you know, it's as simple as, you know, the, the project you're undertaking over the last year of, of buying a new place. You know, you are taking your community of people along the ride with you and expressing the ups and downs of, of those rides. I know that not too long ago, and we talked about earlier on the podcast, you left your role as a physical therapist. Let's talk about that really quick. Let's talk about finishing up grad school and then starting and, and you know, what, what your thoughts were your first couple of years in the role. Yeah. So I wanted to become a physical therapist and I was really excited to get out into the field as a physical therapist, because I understand that when we're not feeling great physically, we're, we're usually not feeling great. Otherwise we're not feeling like ourselves. So I wanted to be in this place where I could meet people who weren't feeling like themselves and I could use movement and exercise to help get them back to what they loved and who they wanted to be. And so that was the intention. I graduated school, proposed to my now wife two days later, started my first full-time job two days after that, like no break. My other classmates were like taking trips. Wait, like, and you had a COVID break. wedding, right? And we had a COVID wedding. Yeah, yes. it was just like a wild yeah. rush. So, but I, I jumped right into it. And the thing for me was that first year of work was, was pre-COVID. And pre-COVID, things were busy. I was working in outpatient clinics, seeing 15, 16, 17, 18 patients a day. And I was like energized. I was still right out of school. And then it started to wear on me. And I realized like, hey, I really want to get to know these people. I really want to have meaningful conversations. And I just can't within this structure. Um, then the pandemic happened. Things slowed down quite a bit. I had some time and space to think. And I was lucky enough to be surrounded by all of these people, um, both close to me and far from me through social media, who were entrepreneurs who did their own thing. I watched you write a book and publish a book from afar. That was really before we got to know each other. Yeah. And all of those things inspired me because they showed me that it was possible to like, hey, if I want to do something, I can go do it. Like that, there's nothing holding me back. But at the same time, I was scared. And the big fear for, I'm sure anybody leaving a full-time job with not really a solid plan is like, okay, how am I going to make money? What do the finances look like? And that fear held me in that position as a full-time therapist for a while. And I kept having these conversations with entrepreneurs and the conversation always ended the same way. Entrepreneurship is the hardest thing that I've ever done, hands down. And it's also the best. I wouldn't change it for the world. And I heard that enough times where it was almost as if I was climbing up this proverbial diving board and I was at the edge of this high dive for months, just looking over the edge, saying to myself, tomorrow I'm going to jump, tomorrow I'm going to jump. And finally, I had just another one of those conversations and it pushed me over the edge. And so I left my job at the end of June, 2021 uh, to start Project Endure, which is my company. And at the time, to be honest, I didn't really have a plan for it. I just knew I wanted to create an impact and I wanted freedom and ownership over my time. Uh, and since then, in the past year, it's been such an incredible learning experience. Um, and I really think entrepreneurship is just a personal development um, journey that's wrapped up in business. It's disguised as business um, because I've learned and grown so much as a person through the past year. So, yeah. Absolutely. How would you um, describe if someone said, hey, Joe, what is Project Endure? How would you describe it? Oh, man, it's evolving. But Project Endure is a brand and a community of people uh, who are all striving to be the best versions of themselves um, by embracing the truth that you can only find strength through struggle. And so I believe that in life, there are two kinds of hard, 
there is the kind of hard that we choose and there's the kind of hard that chooses us. And I believe that both kinds of hard are opportunities to grow, to get stronger, to build resilience, to learn. Um, and this is really a community of people who are supporting one another in that, in those pursuits, in dealing with the hard things that life hands us and in also pursuing the hard things um, that we get to choose. Incredible. You know, you, you touched on one thing, you started out and you weren't sure where it was going to go. And that's one thing that's so consistent. I mean, I, I could tell you when I started writing Break Barriers, I had no idea what I was doing. And I think I talked about that with you previously. When I started this podcast, I had no idea what I was doing. YouTube, no idea what I was doing. When I incorporated Break Barriers Co., no idea what I was doing. Um, you know, and I think that's super important to just hone in on really quick, you know, the two of us here, because for anyone out there listening, the truth of the matter is that first step is just so incredibly important. And I think you would agree with me in the fact that we are both doing things that we love right now. And it is worth the risk um, you know, based on the fact that, you know, you're, you're, you're taking the calculation, um, you know, correctly. Like for yeah. me, I, I always say like, I'm not risk averse. I'm, I'm not, I'm not a wild card, but I'm not risk averse when it comes to, you know, following my dreams and my ambition and, and, you know, my vulnerabilities and putting them out there by all means. I think that, you know, I, I think those are the kind of risks that are so important to take. But I think that there's a lot of people out there um, who are still worried about that first step because they don't know what's going to happen, you know, when it's time for that second step. Um, Mm. And so if you can give any more color as to just generally speaking, like, how do you approach it? You know how it it clicked for me is I was having a conversation with my parents a few years ago. So I am the first child. My parents had me not necessarily on purpose, I found out, when they were 25, I believe. And so growing up as a kid, you look up to your parents, they're adults, you're a child, you're like, oh, they've got it all figured out, right? Like they know how to be parents. And I was talking to them and they were like, yeah, we had no idea. Like we, like my, my mom would cry. Like my dad had no idea. They figured it out. And I was like, oh, if you guys don't have it figured out, then like, I'm sure my elementary school teachers had no idea what they were doing with their lives. And I just kept like having these conversations of all these people parents, um, teachers, people, entrepreneurs, nobody had it figured out. And then I came to the conclusion, I don't think we ever have it figured out. I don't think we ever will have it figured out. And that just freed me. I was like, all right, I don't have to have it figured out. I can take one step. And then once I get that step done, I can look and the next step will be in front of me. And each step will reveal the next action creates clarity. And so for me, it's really all about action. I find when I'm most anxious, when I'm most overwhelmed, it's when I'm sitting around doing nothing. Um, And so I really just action is such a powerful thing. And I would say to anybody listening, you don't need the end destination to start. You need a general direction, right? If you're flying out of New York City, going to the West Coast, you don't need to know the specific airport you're gonna land in. You just need to know, do I wanna go up north to Washington State or do I wanna go to the Southern tip of California and then start on that flight and just go, you'll figure it out. I think it's so true. I couldn't agree more, Joe. I I think that you hit it spot on right there. And you know, I, I hope listeners take, take that away, um, you know, as, as a main point from, from this episode around the fact that 
there are so many entrepreneurs out there, entrepreneurs that you've spoken to, that I've spoken to, that honestly, the both of us have probably looked up to and continue to look up to. And one of the things that I um, came across in my own professional career was actually very similar. You know, I was walking the halls of of JP Morgan as one of my, you know, my first big corporate job. And I just remembered day after day, I would keep, you know, thinking to myself, you know, they don't have it any more figured out than I do. You know, you look at some of the people that had made it up in their career and kudos to them for doing so and and, and not taking anything away from them. But it was simply a matter of action uh, okay. one day after the next in order to get to where they were. Um, and uh, that's kind of where I was enlightened around the fact that, okay, this may not be my passion, but if mm. I apply this idea of action towards something that I am truly passionate about, there's really not that much to lose. Um, and so let me see it through. Yeah. And the other thing too, and I don't know who said this, but success is a war of attrition and yeah, success is subjective. It looks different to everybody. So maybe a better way to say that is with a James Watkins quote, who said a river cuts through rock, not because of its power, but because of its persistence. persistence. And man, it's such a beautiful image to just keep chipping away in the same direction over a long period of time. It's powerful. It is. It's absolutely spot on. Um, I don't want to shift gears too much, but I definitely want to touch on um, on your athletic prowess. You've been an athlete for a long time, and um, you know I, I see the impact that you've had on you know people in in our community uh, from that perspective. Um, but I want to talk a little bit about how sports have played a role in your mindset. Um, and also just out of curiosity, given your background in physical therapy, I want to talk a little bit how much that's helped you, uh, build up your own client base, uh, in, in that aspect. Absolutely. Well, first of all, nobody's ever used the words athletic prowess in the same sentence as me. So I'm honored, um, to, yeah, sports have played a huge role in my life. Um, a lot of who I am is because of the sport of football specifically. And I can kind of give one anecdote to sum it all up, but if anybody's played football out there, you know what it's like to watch film. Um, for anybody who hasn't played football, what happens is you play a game, you have a practice, it's filmed. You sit down with your team and your coaches afterward and you just, it's all up there, right? Every mistake you get held accountable. And sometimes it's really, really hard, really, really uncomfortable, but it makes you a better player. It makes you a better teammate. And so when I stopped playing football after my first year of college, because of my eyesight, it wasn't necessarily a choice I wanted to make, but it was the right choice to make. Um, I was missing something and I realized how much watching film for football made me better. And I thought, how do I carry that over to other aspects of life? And I realized I have to live my life like it's on film. Nobody else is going to hold me accountable the way that I know I can hold myself accountable. And so I realized it's so important to give effort, to hustle, to run to the ball, right? If the play doesn't go your way, the next play like is going to happen, right? If you're not happy, if you're upset with yourself, the ball's still going to get snapped. You have to be ready. So you have to be able to move on. Life like football is a team sport, right? It's not just about you. Other people can pick you up and you can also help out other people. There's so many different lessons I've taken from the sport of football. But I think for me, the big one is just integrity. It's doing the right thing. It's knowing that your actions affect other people. 
Um, and I wouldn't be who I am without that sport to transition then to the world of physical therapy and how that's helped me build a business and, and gain clientele. I think it's really just an understanding that at, at, at our core as humans, like what we really want most is to just be who we want to be. And that sounds very vague, but just from a physical therapy perspective, I don't think people come to physical therapy because of pain. And that's going to rub a lot of healthcare professionals the wrong way, potentially. But my explanation is, I don't think people come because of pain. People can deal with pain. People come because their pain is limiting who they are and who they want to be, the things that they want to do, the things that are meaningful to them. And so through the world of physical therapy, I learned to get to the root of why people were seeking that care. And I think as a coach, it's allowed me to see beyond some of the surface level uh things that people will come to me for. Like, I, I want to lose a little bit of weight so I can look good um, for the summer. Okay. Beneath that, do you really want confidence? Do you really want to feel strong at your core and not just look good? There are so many deeper layers to human beings. And I think I got to see a lot of that through physical therapy and it's just allowed me to connect with people on a deeper level uh, through coaching as well. Got it. Joe, are you hard on yourself? I like to think that I have high standards and I hold myself accountable and I give myself a good amount of grace, but the short answer is yes, I'm hard on myself. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I kind of knew where that, where that answer was going, but I, I had to ask the question because you certainly hold yourself to the highest standards. Um, and, and, and that's noticeable and it's commendable. Um, do you ever think to yourself, um, you know, I, I think that, let me rephrase it. I always say success isn't a destination. Like I, mm. I could, I don't think that I will ever be successful in my lifetime. Um, are you agreeable with that? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, as far as, as I see it, you know, as long as I'm better tomorrow than I am today, then that's all that I could ask for. And I think that if success was a destination, then, you know, at some point, if I ever, ever, ever get there, then life after that would be pretty dark. And that's, you know, one thing I think about when I think about, you know, setting your standards, um, at a high rate, um, it, it's kind of that tug of war of like, well, like maybe I, maybe I do want success. Like, do you mm. ever think about that? You know, as you kind of maybe are hard on yourself one day for not meeting your own standards of like, is this really worth it? You know what? I have that internal dialogue quite a bit between what feels important in the moment and what I think is actually important, right? Fast forward to 80, 90 years old. Will I care if I got that extra client or not? Will I care if I hit the revenue mark? Will I care X, Y, and Z? Or will I wish I spent more time with the people that I loved? And full transparency, that's a very hard struggle for me. Um, if anybody's ever seen a snapshot of my calendar, I have time blocks off to spend with my wife. Yeah. Uh, some people think that's crazy, but to me, it, it has to happen because if I don't set those boundaries with intention, um, yeah. I will just fill that space with work. And I think the other thing that I think about quite often, and you're in New York City, are you familiar with the broken windows theory? No. So Malcolm Gladwell has written a series of books. I love all of his writing, but uh, I think it is in Outliers. Uh, potentially. He talks about crime in New York City in the 1990s, like a lot of crime. And the way they got it under control was actually cracking down on small crime. So, you know, people who were jumping over turnstiles or littering, the small stuff. 
and it worked and people were shocked. And the broken windows theory states that if a criminal walks into a new neighborhood and all the windows are broken, the automatic assumption is anything goes. They don't care about crime. I'm not Mm going to get caught. I can do whatever I want. And once you start cleaning up those broken windows, those small things, that dialogue starts to change and people understand that that will not be tolerated. And my internal dialogue, when I'm hard on myself, if I take the easy way out, if I do something I knew I shouldn't have done, that's a broken window to me and I need to clean that up. And so that's kind of where that stems from. But I think at the end of the day, my struggle is to actually value relationships and people over maybe some of the more uh, transient things that quote unquote are successful um, right now. Well, I was going to say, does that mindset pivot to, for instance, when you're not the perfect husband or when you're not the perfect child, right? Like, you know, I, I, I think similar to you, I have my own goals and ambitions from a personal, from a business perspective, similar to a personal perspective. And it's, it's interesting when I see myself approaching both or like miscues in both, Mm. how would you connect the dots on both? Or is it, you know, I guess I'll, I'll let you kind of speak from there. You know, I don't think there's a perfect answer or perfect balance or even one that would apply to every single person because everyone's different. But for me, what I really try to live by is that investing into relationships is not clean. It's not productive always. It doesn't feel that way. It's not efficient. You know, people are messy. Relationships are messy, but I think people always have to come first. Um, And the way I look about it and think about it and maybe justify that sometimes is like when I'm gone someday, you know, sure, I can leave behind a book or a podcast or write whatever it is. But really, the impact that I have on other people, that's going to live on far beyond me. And so whenever I face that dilemma, as long as there's nothing pressing or urgent with consequences, when it's on the work or productivity side, I'll always choose the person. And that's something that I've been more intentional with over the past year and a half, two years. And I'm really trying to be better with because I do think at the end of the day, people and relationships matter most. I agree. I agree. You know, Joe, you give so much perspective and and I really appreciate you sharing all this. There's so many ways and so many things I want to talk about, but one of the things that I want to make sure I touch on is I know that you shared that you are running New York City this year. Yes, sir. I'm super excited. (laughs) Yeah. uh, First marathon, right? First official marathon. This is only going to make sense to like 1% of your population here, but I've run the distance by myself just in the streets before. Um, so, so it's you just crazy. Spoke th- up, ran 26 miles for fun one day. Pretty much. <laughs> wow. Okay. But yes. First official marathon. All right. Well, what spurred it this year? Um, you know what? I got connected with a guy named Jason. Jason is um, a recovering alcoholic. He was on the Project Endure podcast. We really hit it off. And he is running the marathon this year, raising money for partnership to end addiction. And he had an extra spot on his team. And he said, Hey man, I think you would really love this. And I can see you really making an impact. Would you like to run? And I didn't even think about it. I just said, yes. Um, So yeah, that's how it happened. And I've talked to so many people who've run the marathon and overwhelmingly, um, I've heard that it's just one of the most incredible experiences. And uh, you can speak to that, I'm sure. 
Yeah, no, you, de- you definitely can't beat it. Uh, for, it's, it's definitely a lot better than just getting up and running 26 miles <laughs> on your own anywhere else for that matter. Um, so you're going to, you're going to love it. Um, with regards to training, are you, are you aiming for any sort of goal or anything out there or just going out there to enjoy it? Man, part of me wants to say I'm going out there just to enjoy it. Part of me wants to say I want to hit sub 330. Um, again, this will be my first official race. I have trouble staying out of the weight room. So I think um, I'm going to have to sacrifice some of that to really hit my goal. And I want to stay, this is arbitrary, but I want to stay over 185 pounds throughout the whole thing. Um, So, and that's pretty much where I'm at now. So it's going to be a challenge on multiple fronts, but I'm excited for it and I can't wait. Do you mind giving uh, listeners a little insight into your workout regimen? I mean, I look at you as someone who is, you know, both a strength and endurance athlete, uh, but training for a marathon is a whole other ball game. And, and I don't, I don't know how much you weigh now, but maintaining your weight while marathon training isn't necessarily, um, that easy to do. So speak to that a little bit. Yeah. So, uh, up until, uh, marathon training, which actually, actually start for me next week officially, I am in the gym six to seven days a week. I've definitely learned a lot about my body over the past decade plus of lifting. So I'm not going all out in the gym six to seven days a week, just for anybody listening. Um, But I I love weight training. So what's going to happen during marathon prep is I'll be hitting five strength workouts a week, uh, lower body, upper push, upper pull. I'll take an off day and then I'll go lower body, upper body. Those last two workouts of the week, lower, upper will be lighter in intensity, higher in volume. Um, and then I'll have a tempo run every week, which will cycle through some mile repeats, 800 repeats, 400 repeats, hills, fartleks, etc. cetera. Um, I'll have a, a long run, which will be Saturdays every week, progressively building up toward the marathon. I'll be running one mile every off day. Um, that's just a streak that I have currently almost at a hundred days that I just can't let go. So I'll be doing that. Um, and then I'll be mixing in a couple medium distance, uh, run workouts throughout the week, as well as some work on the spin bike in my office right here. So it's a little bit of everything. Uh, and I'm going to taper the strength work probably six to four weeks out from the marathon and let my legs recover a little bit. So that's an overview. What's your average sleep cycle like? So I usually go to bed around eight, eight thirty at night. And I usually wake up around four, four thirty in the morning. Some days a little bit earlier, like three 30. Um, but I'm getting some solid sleep. I really never have a problem falling asleep. I'm pretty much like my head hits the pillow and I'm out. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm, I'm similar to you. I'm usually in bed around nine. Um, you know, I, and then kind of just let myself go from there, but I'm sure that, you know, people that maybe see what you put out there probably wonder to themselves, does this kid ever sleep? Uh, I'm, I'm guessing that's a question you've gotten before all the time. And the answer is yes. I get up at three thirty, four o'clock in the morning, a lot of times, but I'm also going to bed while most people are eating dinner. So yeah, I get enough sleep. <laughs> good. Good. Well, that, that's super excited. I'm super pumped that you're going to be running this year. I hope that, you know, you and I can connect uh, around the marathon. Um, you know, as we wrap things up, Joe, I wanted to ask you, um, based on your experience so far, let's say over the last two years in particular, I think your story has really kind of come into motion over the last two years. And, you know, your level of just putting everything out there on the line, taking on risks, investing in your family, investing in yourself, biggest takeaway for you and biggest piece of advice you have to share. 
and you can combine it if you'd like. Man, that's great. I'm going to answer with a quote and then I'll probably answer them together. But Alexis Carroll once said, man cannot remake himself without suffering for he is both the marble and the sculptor. And when I heard that quote, it just shook me. It goes hand in hand with something I have written right next to my desk, which is comfort is a slow death. And I think the biggest lesson, the biggest takeaway is that a lot of times people say they want something and then they start off on that path and it's uncomfortable, it's hard, it's exhausting. And then they turn back toward comfort. Moving toward the person that you want to be should not be a comfortable process. And I think too many people turn back too soon on themselves. Um, and so for me, I'm really stuck in this mode of chiseling away at myself, embracing the struggle, embracing the suffering, and understanding that you can't have strength, you can't build resilience, you can't do anything meaningful without a little bit of discomfort along the way. Um, so for anybody listening, I would say, if you're uncomfortable in life right now on the path that you've chosen, lean into that, embrace that. That is where you will find strength. And I think that's my message for everybody. I agree. And I, I, you know, I used to tell people all the time, one of my favorite quotes was, life begins at the end of your comfort zone, right? And, then, and that's where your potential really starts to unravel. You know, I, I personally, the name, the name of this podcast is the Mile 40 Podcast. And as you know, from Break Barriers, that's essentially where it all happened for me, right? It was at the pit of my comfort zone. There was zero comfort at that point in, in my life or in that moment. And that's when my eyes open ever so wide. And I think, you know, in the context of your story, it's even more meaningful when we talk about like that vision that kind of pops up once you put yourself through something just so incredibly grueling. And so I really appreciate you sharing that guidance. Uh, Joe, I just want to say thank you. I mean, I, I could go on for hours uh, with you and I would definitely love to have you on again at some time, but I want to say thank you. I think your story is super impactful. I think it's eye-opening. I think you lend a perspective. I encourage everybody listening to this podcast to look up Joe Rinaldi, to follow him, to check out his blogs, to sign up for his emails. You know, as someone who, you know, is in a similar line of business on a personal level, level. I look up to you for inspiration. And I just want to, again, express my overwhelming gratitude that you, you joined us today. Thank you, Bishoy. I look up to you too, man. And uh, I can't wait for round two. And I hope the people listening to this got something out of it. And if I can just leave everybody with a few more words, it's just simply that um, whatever you're going through, you're not alone. And I know personally, I would love to be there for you. So if you're going through something, you want to reach out or just connect, let me know. I'll be there for you. Thank you, John. Thank you for listening today. If you enjoyed this episode of the Mile 40 podcast, go ahead, subscribe, leave a review, and share the word. Thank you for being a part of the Mile 40 family. And let's unite in showing the world that comebacks are always greater than setbacks.